Welcome to In Session with Jared and Clay. Our podcast is finally here. I, I am so excited to get this thing launched. It's been a ton of fun making it, and now we get to share it with you. Before we get started, let me introduce some voices to you. Dr. Clay Barty co-hosts this show with me, and since today's discussion is on racism, I'll just say Clay's a Native American, card-carrying member of the Cherokee Nation, and he sounds like this. I would say it's a, that's an impossibility. It's impossible to not be a racist. Dr. Greg Harris is a special guest on today's show, and he's black. He has a PhD in marriage and family therapy, but he's more widely known in our community as a collegiate women's soccer coach and just a good human being. This is Greg. Well, if you sit back and you're not saying anything and you're just letting things happen, then you're contributing. And we also have special guest Jason Darden, who is also black. He's a chaplain, and he's currently working on his doctorate degree. I went to my first Juneteenth event this year where Jason was the main speaker. He did an awesome job. This is him. That's a very provocative statement because many people believe that we solved this problem. And then there's me. I'm mostly white. I say mostly because, like most Oklahomans, I have a Native American family and I definitely have Native American features, but I'm not on the rolls. My great-grandparents decided not to register their kids on the rolls out of fear of discrimination, and maybe because I always look like a lot of other people in Oklahoma, I never really thought of myself as a minority. I don't identify as a minority. Maybe I should. I don't know. I hesitate to claim that I'm a Native American because I want to be respectful of the Native American people. I don't know if it's more respectful of them if I claim the heritage that I have or if it's more respectful not to claim that heritage because for all practical purposes, I was raised white. So I don't yet know what to do about that. But I wanted to introduce all of us to you because today we're talking about racism. And if we are going to talk about race, we need to have conversations that are inclusive. Talking to people about racism when they are the same race as you, it's okay sometimes. But if that's all we do, how much good do we expect that to do? Clay, Greg, Jason, and I are here to have conversations that we think other people are afraid to have. Or maybe they don't know how to have. Or maybe they aren't even aware that they need to have. We're here to talk. And we're here to talk like friends talk. Even about hard stuff like racism. And today we're starting with this quote that I've been hearing people say. I actually heard Jason say it the other day at Juneteenth. And it's this. It's not enough to not be a racist. It's not enough to not be a racist. A lot of us think racism applies to someone else. A lot of us think, hey, I'm not a racist. That's someone else's problem. Go talk to them about it. People talking about racism, they're not talking about me. They're not talking to me. Yes, we are. We are talking to you. We are talking about you. If you're black, if you're white, if you're red, if you're yellow, you are included in this discussion. You're certainly included in the dilemma. You're included in every sense of the word. But know this, we aren't here to fight each other. We may say something with which you disagree. 
we may say something with which we later disagree ourselves, and that is going to be okay. It's a journey. It's a process. And the four of us have established between us that it's going to be okay to say something that may be wrong. We'll learn. We'll grow. We'll keep moving. And I think the essence of that is in what Greg said the other day to me. He said, Jared, we aren't here to fix racism. We're here to build relationships. And relationships have their ups and their downs, but we stick together and we keep going. That's it. We're here to have conversations that create space for all of us to connect for a little more appreciation, a little more understanding, a little more love. And through that, a lot more unity. So that's how we're going to approach it here. In a few minutes, I'm going to be joined in the studio by Clay and Greg and Jason. And we're going to talk about it. And I hope you enjoy the show. Are you ready for your session? Let's do it. Okay, so guys, what I'd like to talk about today is I've been coming across this quote. I've been hearing it a lot lately. I want to get your feedback on it. And the quote is, it's not enough to not be a racist. What do you think about that? I like the sentiment and the thinking behind it because it's impossible to not be something. You cannot be the negation of an idea. And many people kind of set out and I guess set a path for life and they, and they try to not be certain things. I would say it's an impossibility. It's impossible to not be a racist. Categorizing yourself as not a racist is part of racism. The question is then what are you contributing to as a family member, as a, as a coach, as a teammate? If my team is wronged, if I sit back and I let that happen to my family and then my wife turns around to me and say, you are acting as if you're not a part of our family. Well, no, I'm, I'm a part of your family. I'm, I, I'm, I love you. I love my kids. Well, why didn't you say something to help us out? If you sit back and you're not saying anything and you're just letting things happen, then you're contributing because what we need right now is not someone to sit back and not say anything. We don't need our fellow brothers and sisters who are, are African-American to sit back and not say anything. We need the family to stand up and say, you're either this or you're that. I'd rather you say, I'm not with y'all, than sit back and not do anything. That's, that's just my fault. I think it's not enough not to be a racist is a statement that is kind of a, uh, a jab to those who believe we live in a post-racist America. So that's a very provocative statement because many people believe that we're de- we, we solved this problem, slaves were emancipated, and after Jim Crow was settled, race is not an issue anymore, right? So, and, and that's the prevailing thought. So when you say a statement like this, it's like, wait a minute, it, it's very thought-provoking, and, and what do we do with this? Racist were the people that owned slaves and, and segregated people back in the 60s. There's no such thing as a racist today, really, kind of, because racism is not a problem in America today. 
which I think is uh, very, very poor, poor thinking. So, oh. so you, you're yeah. even thinking that the definition of racism of what people think is racism. That's a thing of the past. Historic. That's historical. I'm baffled by that. Racism is a part of an evil world. And I don't want to be careful because I, in some ways, racism probably cannot be fully eliminated. We're not talking about doing away right. with right. evil. Right. I mean, no one would sit around and say, hey, we, we, can, we can construct a world that is free from evil. We can live in a way that decreases and diminishes the effect of evil and love each other and spread good and everything. But I, I don't think anybody would think we could eliminate right. The idea of, of evil and so at one level of conversation racism is is akin to that because it's evil there's no way to deal with it to an extent that it goes away right, right. and to think that it's been dealt with that blows my mind racism in this country is very much like a virus mm -hmm. it only mutates from the very first time that someone was kidnapped from their homeland and brought to this country against their will in the 16-whatevers until today, it has done nothing but mutate. And it will continue to mutate you know, as an evil unless we, and I'm using this metaphor and this analogy, obviously, because... We're very keen to hear about viruses right now, but until we as human beings produce a vaccine, this virus of, of racism, I believe, will continue to mutate. Mm -hmm. And it would be just as absurd if you were thinking about, well, we, we eliminated viruses. We eliminated the flu. Right. Influenza right. is gone. Now, we right. dealt with that. Well, it seems to me that every season we're having to deal with the mutation of influenza. And so I'm, I'm wondering if that's a, is that a way we can think about racism that's, that's helpful? You said there's no way to, to deal with it and think that it will go away. But you use this term, not racist. I will say there's no way to not deal with it either. Yeah. And think that it will just go away. Yeah. The idea that I'm not racist, that if all of us were just not racist, there will be no racism. I don't think that's the answer either. To kind of put a Christian angle to it, we all have problems with sin, and everybody's temptations are a little bit different, right? Somebody might have trouble with alcohol, and to another person, it's not a problem at all. So I, I think the way you define it, Racism is one of those human problems that we deal with that we will never solve <laughs> until we're out of here. So mm -hmm. it morphs. And I think our goal is, can we contain it some? Can mm -hmm. we cure some people of this virus that we have and make sure that it doesn't spread? Um, right. And right. therein lies the challenge. So you'll mm -hmm. never, we'll never be able to eradicate it completely. Right. So I appreciate what you said. Yeah, and hear what I'm not saying because of that fact, we don't sit back and go, oh, well. Yeah, yeah. Whatever, doesn't matter, which is, I think, what you're alluding to, right, Craig. Right. Is, and, and so it's not like, you yeah. know, because it exists at that level, but we still, we still must have these conversations and we still must define it in some way that we can language right. about it 
and and acknowledge the reality and the facts of what's happened in this country. You know, I'm still baffled is just the only word I can come up with. How can you investigate the history of this country and come up with any conclusion other than it's racist? I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, I don't understand how it could be seen any differently, but it is. Yeah. One of the things that we've talked about before is the fact that, you know, our country is very much built on this idea of independence and autonomy, think for yourself, responsible for yourself. Even that, that goes into our theology too, right? Where it's like, my relationship with God, my salvation, things like that. And we tend to, I think, sometimes think about maybe things such as racism and say, I'm not a racist. I'm not part of the problem. I can't fix it. But it's disconnecting from the community in a way, right? I mean, we're whenever we say those things, we're disconnecting ourselves from the community and I don't know. I'd like to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, it reminds me. Have you guys seen the show, uh, What Would You Do? Uh, it used to be a popular kind of like reality show where someone was put in a weird situation mm-hmm. and, and, and the cameraman and the, the producers were trying to figure out how is this person going to respond or mm-hmm. act. For example, a young man is yelling at the top of his lungs at a senior in a restaurant, which is really, really bad. Mm-hmm. And somebody walks in and sees it. What are they going to do, right? Right. You would hope someone would intervene and say something and say, stop that. But, you know, I think the statement speaks to the fact that a lot of people won't say anything. Right. They're like, I'm not doing that. I'm not a part of it. So I'm going to stay away, get my latte and leave, right? right? And uh, I, I would say in America, there there is a problem. People of color have been treated unfairly and unjustly and many people are just walking by and saying, you know, that's it, not my problem. Don't want to deal with it. I'm going to leave. Right? Would, right. would you say that's the biggest issue? To me, it seems like that we really zeroed in. It, it's the it's the disconnect. It's the exclusion. It's the not saying anything that has been the largest contributor to the maintenance of this of, of this evil. Yes. And the word that you use, ex- exclusion, if you look at what this country was, was, was really built off of inclusion, bring me your what, your poor, your sick, bring me from all over. If you want to live over here in a land that is free, come over. It was supposed to be a land of inclusion. We're made up of a bunch of different people. Now, you also look at now the decisions to come over. Those people made the decision on their own to come over, whereas you look at the mostly the African-American race, we, we weren't brought over that way. We were brought over as slaves. But when we even gained our freedom, there has still not been the inclusion that this country was meant. That's just a thought. And I got to touch on this because I think Jared – brings up a a very, very powerful point. Mm -hmm. However you feel about economic systems, they are what they are, right? So Mm -hmm. we have a capitalistic system here in America where it's you work really hard to advance yourself in the land of opportunity. Mm -hmm. 
And I think for me, as I think about slavery, slavery is a part of that that kind of mindset. Like we're going to get people that we can use for free labor so that we can advance ourselves over the course of generations, right? And because of that, the economic opportunities for for Europeans that came over to this country were vast and great. And, big. and over the course of generations, they keep going up, going up, going up. And then Emancipation mm-hmm. Proclamation occurs. Slaves are free. And we start building really at that time, at that moment, in 1865. So how many years has passed, right, where other European families have been able to build up wealth mm-hmm. and, and generational wealth, and then we just get started, and we're so, so far behind. Uh-huh. And I think racism, it, it's always existed, but here in America, you have to tie it into the capitalistic drive of our country, which makes our country great. But because of that, there are third and fourth order effects. You think about communism, another system seems great on paper, but then there are third and fourth order effects that maybe you didn't think about when you were deciding what economic philosophy you're going to use. Hearing you say that just kind of makes me think, I think generally, maybe I'm going to get in trouble for saying this, I don't know. But generally, if we dissociate ourselves from those third and fourth order effects, right? Mm -hmm. I think that's probably part of why also there are these debates right now where people are saying, don't tear down that statue. Right. Don't tear down that flag, right? Because that's where we are. That's where we came from. Right. Yet, we don't want to recognize that not everybody started from the same starting place. So it's kind of ironic there. There's a little bit of a double standard Right. Where we're saying, hey, where we started from matters, where you started from doesn't matter. It matters where you are today. Right. Right. You know what I mean? Very yeah. good. Why are we doing that? Very good point. We're doing that because. I only make good points, though, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> you made some good ones. I would like to say we're, we're blind to the fact that we're doing that, but I'm not. I don't buy that. I think we're doing that because we tend to, as humans, kind of think about ourselves take care of ourself and and try to structure an environment where I am most comfortable. And I think another aspect of racism and the maintenance of racism in this culture is people don't want to look at it. They, they don't want to see it. It, it. I guess it would be akin to, you know, there's a lot of people that, that if you, if you drive by the interstate and there's an unfortunate accident or something, it always slows traffic down but you know there's there's a line there that i'm looking and then the if i begin to see something if i begin to see some real carnage it's like oh no i don't want to look at that right that's that's too much that's too ugly that's too traumatic i'm curious to this point but then no further Mm -hmm. and i feel like a lot of white people are kind of in that position because when you really look at the history of racism in this country it's ugly it's traumatic it's horrible and it's it's dehumanizing Mm -hmm. i don't want to spend much time looking at that i don't want people to to think that uh, you can't ignore something and then claim ignorance Mm -hmm. those are two different abstractions Mm -hmm. and nobody is ignorant of this and for a white person to claim ignorance that's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
the information is out there the stories are out there and if you're interested there's there's no way to be ignorant it's impossible so actually what what you're saying if by claiming ignorance is i'm not interested right right I'm not interested in looking at that. I'm not interested enough in getting to the bottom of this or, or researching or anything else. And and again, that's a maintenance. That's a participation in racism. And I would piggyback off of that and say, you know, we, we now we're speaking about European white Americans and saying they have this problem. But to go back to your original thought, this is a human this is this is a human yeah, problem. For right? sure. I see this everywhere in every part of the, the world. Right? Yes. People are concerned about I, myself, my people, and I'm going to look after us first. And what I was talking to my wife about the other day, I said uh, we were talking about Black Friday shopping. Have you guys ever seen <laughs> Black Friday shopping? Like uh, after Thanksgiving, right? You can go to yeah. Best Buy and it's a free for all, right? And people are shoving out of the way to get their stuff. And and, and a lot of people didn't get what they needed during that time. And, and we walk out with big screen TVs and go, look what we got. And I'm sorry you ain't able to get that, but maybe next year. Yeah. Right? Hopefully, hopefully you can get that, right? Yeah. Get here uh, earlier. Yeah, yeah get yeah, here yeah, earlier. Yeah, get here right. early. Get here right. <laughs> I hear you guys talking about being disinterested. It also makes me think about other aspects of this. So, for example, let's just take anger. I think there's a perception out there that to join the fight against racism, you have to be mad about it. You have to engage in conflict. And there are people who say... I want peace. I want to be a part of peace. I don't want to be a part of anger. I don't want to be part of a fight. What do you say to that? That makes a lot of sense. I, I think there's a lot of avoidance because of the uh, lack of emotion or saying, you know, I don't, I don't feel this way about that or, or I don't want to get into that kind of arena where it's going to be filled with anger or emotions and different things like that. So some people do probably not want to enter in because they are trying to avoid that. I would say from me, I will not, I will not speak for everyone. I will say the incidents that have happened recently have upset me. I have been angry because this is happening too much. Enough is enough, right? But my actions and things that are taking place as of now, including this conversation, are not ones to enter that I'm entering into this arena with anger. I'm entering into this with enough is enough, and this is not right. As I would with anything from a from a spiritual standpoint, as a as a Christian, are there things that make me angry? Yes. And you talk about persecution. You talk about Christians have been persecuted. So there's a lot of things that happen to Christian people that make me angry. But I don't enter into that arena just with anger. I enter into it saying enough is enough. This is not right. It is time for us to stand up and to take charge. And I think that is what we are looking for. This does not have to be an emotional response. This is an ethical, moral response of we have watched these things happen. And whether it has made you angry or not, What's right is right, and what's wrong is wrong. 
we're tired of the wrong. We're tired of seeing the wrong. One of the things I would say, maybe to add to what you said, Jared, because it's, it's true, is this is not happening to me. So why do I feel the need to enter into this into this arena with with them? Because I'm not angry about it. This whole deal of my family's not being affected by it. So we're just going to sit back and just watch. That's a question to me. My thing is, then when do you step in? Well, you know, there was a time. It's 1921, right? right. So as I learned about today, I'll, I'll go ahead and tell you, you know, I am from Tulsa. Right. And I had never heard of the Greenwood Massacre until yesterday. And yes. apparently I'm not the only one. Yeah. Right. And in fact, I texted a couple of my buddies who were also in, from Tulsa. And I said, hey, you know, did you ever hear about this? They said, no. I had to have somebody who's not from Oklahoma tell me about right. the Greenwood Massacre. Mm-hmm. And then what I learned was a black man, right, white woman, and something happened in the elevator. But no, or nothing. Or nothing. But she, happened in she the screamed, elevator. and the and next it, thing you know, the city's sure. on fire. city is on fire. fire. Yep. Yeah. And I... <laughs> but, but your point being... 10,000 people jumped in right away, and they said, hey... We care about what is happening, and we will jump into the fight. And right now, I just don't see us jumping into the fight. And I don't know, maybe there's more than one reason. But I think what we're hearing is saying, hey, if it's not enough to not be racist, it's not enough to not be racist. And Mm -hmm. even though there are people like me who hate conflict, hate confrontation, Clay knows that. He's been telling me about that for years. (laughs) But somehow we have to get some people moving. Right. So there's this term, there's a new term for me, probably not new for you, anti-racist. Right. First of all, and I'm just going to read you the definition of racism in this book is one who is supporting a racist policy through their actions or inactions. And so the idea is not enough to not be that you have to be actively opposed to that through your actions. Right. And so. Yeah, tell me here. tell me what you guys think about the idea of anti-racism. It's, do you think that's the appropriate disposition? I, I or think, is there something else other than not being a racist? You know, the, I think people who come up with the definitions, they're, they're way more intelligent than me. And, and, and you know, semantics are, are, <laughs> are important. I, I do like, I like the term anti, against. Right. Against racism. Racism. Yeah, I think when you say you're against something, that should cause you to do something about it. You know, I know we all, we were created differently. You know, uh, we all have different things that make us tick. So injustice is, is very interesting because there are some things that occur that people will get up in arms about just because it's so, like I think all of us here, we have we have children when we think about someone hurting our children or, or, or take a, a human traffic, I get, that's my first response. Right. I get mad. Right. And my anger drives me to do something about it. However, there are some other injustices that I don't feel as passionate about. Maybe I feel sorrow. And maybe with those injustices, I go, man, if I get around to it, you know, that'd be good for me to get involved with. So I understand the difference there. I, I, all that to say, I do like the term anti-racist because there are some people, when it comes to racism, they really get fired up about it and, and they want to do something about it. So I think the author of this book is saying, okay, 
we will define those people as anti-racist people. Yeah. And, and they're taking strides and steps to make some changes to help out. So uh, so I like I like that term. I think that's a, that's a pretty good term. Well, tell yeah. me about what you think about this quote right here. I came across this quote that says, the most threatening racist movement is not the alt-right's unlikely drive for a white ethnostate, but the regular Americans drive for a race-neutral one. So it's saying the biggest threat in the racist movement is race neutrality. You see these people, I see these, I see this phrase, I see no color. How do you feel when you see that or hear that I see no color? Do you like that? I'm getting kind of fired up. I'm kind of <laughs> you in, are getting fired am I, up. Am man, I yelling okay. in your mic? That's do I need to turn no, my no, volume turn, down? Keep your volume where it's at. I All like right. it. I like it. It lets me know your intensity. It, 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 listen, let me be appropriate, as, as appropriate as I can be. I'm more fired a, up than the a, black guy a, in the room. A, a person that is, <laughs> you, you might be right now. You might, you just might be. If you are able to physically see, and I mean, you know, physically, I mean, if your vision is working and you can see different, now there's maybe some people that are colorblind. Now, I, we, that might be a, a whole other discussion being colorblind. I have a hard problem saying I don't see color. Now I see color. I see color every time I enter into a room. I see color when I enter into my church family on Sunday mornings and Wednesdays. I see color when I look at my soccer team. So I see it. Now, does your color have anything to do with the way in which I love or treat you? No, I love and treat everybody. I won't say the same. I love you and treat you for you, for you being the person that you are. I won't say the same because I may be closer to some people than others. I may be closer to someone on my team that might be white than I may be on someone on my team might be black just because of the length of time that we've known each other or the similarities that we have. Even though this person's white and I'm black, we may have more similarities, but I don't treat anyone different because of, of color. So if you're saying I don't see color because of the way you treat people, fair enough. But I have a hard time with you walking around saying you can't see it or you that you even, or, or that you, well, I don't know if it's a, I don't know if it's a lie, but cause I, I hate to speak for other people and call them a liar unless they're, unless I truly know. I have a hard time seeing people not seeing color, but that doesn't drive you maybe in your motives and how you treat people. If you're saying I don't see color because it does not affect the way in which I treat people, especially people that are different than me, then you know what? Fair enough. Yeah. I, I, Fair I, have, enough. A, I have a problem with it. Uh, I, I understand what Greg is saying for sure, but, I think it's a avoidance. I think it's a cop-out. I think it's trying to construct just another means by which I can uh, exclude myself from participation in resolution. Again, I can't speak to people's motives, so I'll give the motive the benefit of the doubt. But what I'm saying is the method of saying that there's such a thing as race-neutral, I think it's irresponsible. Because the intention, though, is, is good. Possibly. The, well, yeah. Possibly. Yeah. So giving someone the benefit of the doubt, we would say, okay, your motive for wearing that T-shirt that says, I see no color, or the bumper sticker on your car mm -hmm. that says, I'm colorblind, 
right? Giving them the benefit of the doubt, we would say, okay, that is that is good. But what I'm reading, and you guys can tell me if you agree or disagree, is that black people take offense to that. They can't that can come across as offensive because they want to be seen for who they are. They don't want to be yeah, don't dismissed. They don't we're, we're not here to dismiss right. black culture, black identity, anything. It's acceptance. Right. And if you say I'm colorblind, it's like saying it's it can come across yeah. as dismissive. Let yeah. me let me tell you the phrase that most has really bothered me is Coach Harris, you speak like you're white. Oh yeah. That drives me yeah. absolutely insane. Because mm-hmm. what you're saying is you speak intelligently or clearly, or let me let me that's what I that that's the interpretation that I get. You speak intelligently, you you don't use slang or you don't talk like this or that or whatever. So therefore that is seen as white. Mm. As if that's the only way we we talk. <laughs> you know? Yeah. As black people, we are all different. And if you speak in one way or another way, we are not celebrate we the thing is we don't celebrate people for who they are. We tend to celebrate people if they are like us. And the saying not seeing color or saying you speak white is to this kind of this race neutral type of idea mindset what we have to get used to is celebrating people for who they are celebrating the brand and we as african-americans we are many things i as a man am many things i can speak to you several different ways if you want to Say it. I can Do speak it. to you white. I can speak to we you. We call that black. code switching. I, code code switching. Switch. From we code don't have switching. a problem code switching. Yeah. You know, but I speak like this a majority of the time because this is who I am. It's not a white or black thing. Mm-hmm. But to, to but to be called and I say to be it's almost to be called white the way in which I speak. Yeah, yeah. And that that bothers me because I'm not white. I won't ever be white. Not to say anything against you. Don't want to be white. We're right. <laughs> what do you mean? You don't want to be white. Why not? No, I love who I am, man. Mm-hmm. I love it. I, I, I'm, I'm going to take it from a little bit different perspective. Most of the people that I have met that said, I don't see color or I am colorblind, the ones that I've met based on my experience, Actually, they came from a sincere place and they used to hang out with me, right? Right. Like, I really want him to define what it means to be race neutral, Neutral. right? I I really need that definition fleshed out because I'm going to give a little bit different perspective. I'm in the Army. I grew up as an Army brat, right? And in the Army, there's a statement that we always say. We say, we are green, We don't see color. We are all green. And actually, that is a very powerful statement because it's used within the correct context, right? So for me, growing up on a military installation from a very young age, I always had different friends. Like my Asian friend, Jeffrey Wong, was down the street. My Greek friend, Christos Terabikos, was next door. Curtis Jackson, my, you know... And we were raised together. We all knew we were of different ethnicities, 
but we never really talked about race. We just came mm -hmm. up together. And this is my friend. That is my friend. And it never really came up. It wasn't an issue. And I think that is what America is seeking. But you've got to go through all the things that that soldiers go through to understand what it means just to be green, right? Yeah. And I think we're trying to get to the desired end state without working through all the battles to get us to that place. Yeah, I hear and you. that's where the issue of race being yeah. race neutral comes into play. You have, you have to go through the process. Yeah, you have and to go through the that process. That talks about what you've talked right. about earlier, avoiding the, you know, even within the structure of, of the United States, avoiding dealing with the deep issues to have to go back and revisit. Right, right. Yeah. I have to take ownership as a, at least part white American that this happened. Mm -hmm. We did this and my, my ignoring it is indeed a participation in the maintenance of what we, mm -hmm. we have now. And I, and I love what you're saying, Jason, because the, the idea of race, it can be transcended mm -hmm. through those types of processes. You find that in the military. It's uh, it's not perfect, but you right, can find right, that in the right. military. You can find that many times maybe in an athletic mm -hmm. context, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. which was which was my whole growing up. And, and thank God that I had that opportunity because the same thing occurs with your brothers that you, you know, play a sport mm -hmm. with and, and mm -hmm. that – I mean, it's not guaranteed, but it you have the opportunity for that process right. to play out, and and it you know it really can you know the idea of race can be transcended into humanity. Right. We are all just human. Right. And if that could ever transcend this socially constructed evil that allows you know racism to exist, then you know, maybe we you know, would make some, some traction. But we'd lose out on a lot of business. Uh, you know? And you've mentioned, if, if, if yeah. race wasn't a problem, what would you talk about? All wow. Day? wow. People would be without a job. Well, <laughs> I mean, yeah. So we got to keep this thing going in, in, in a sense, right? It's yeah. good for our podcast. It's good for our podcast. podcast. We wouldn't yeah. be here today. If we yeah. <laughs> You're so right. And, and how, Closely is this tied to economics. Exactly. Oh. It is inseparable. That's a sad thing, mm -hmm. but it is absolutely inseparable. And maybe uh, maybe we can talk about that in, you know, in detail, you know, in, a, in another episode. But it, um, you know, you mentioned capitalism and communism, socialism, and it, it doesn't matter what form of government or philosophy you choose. None of them can be run perfectly. Right. Because right. they are run by humans. humans. And so any system, any theoretical system that's perfectly run is going to be good. Right. We just can't do that. Right, right. Which does not mean we throw our hands up and give say, up oh, and well, say, yeah. It's just the way it is. Just yeah. the way it is. No, no, no. We are, we are called to strive, okay, to be the best, you know, human we can to, and to share that with, with others. So. Let me ask this about about this idea of systemic racism. That's out there a lot today. Institutionalized racism. It's as if we are putting another descriptor in front of 
racism. the idea of, of racism. And I can give you a thought of, of, of what I have a thought. The only benefit I would possibly see is it causes people just a brief moment of what is that? A consideration which blocks that presupposition that comes in too quickly, which makes people not listen or shut or shut you off. Or I'm not, I, you know, oh, they're talking about racism. I'm, I'm avoiding that. Right. I don't want to. I don't want to look at that. But I want to throw that out there to see what you think about labeling it like that. Where can we go with that idea? When you say system in the military, we we have a bunch of systems. And in order to have a system, I feel like there have to be rules, regulations, policies, and procedures put in place to construct that system. And so when we say systemic or institutional racism, I think what we're saying is that there have been policies, procedures put in place to advance one race or ethnicity over another. So when we use that term, there's an aversion to it right off the bat, because some would say, man, we came to America. Those who migrated to America, look, we were just trying to to take care of our families. We were trying to get some land and build a house and get under the oppression of, of, of the queen and the king. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and But they didn't realize that in order to do that, they put systems in place to build upon that, right? They, they wiped out whole groups of people and brought slave, all, all kind of stuff. And there were systems in place to get my group to advance in the world. And that's why a lot of people don't like that term because they would say, no, 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 that, we didn't do that. That wasn't purposeful. We didn't do that on purpose. We were just trying to look out for ourselves, right? It's tough because it brings in to the conversation politics, laws, mm-hmm. procedures, the Constitution, Declaration of Independence tells us that we're all equal. So that can't be that can't be the case. That doesn't happen. We don't do that. But that's simply not the case. That's not true. Yeah, it's categorically not true. Yeah. I mean, the, yeah. the, as good as that document is. It, yeah. And and I will I will give the credit for it being Yeah. It's a good canon. Uh, it's it's, a, a, it's, a, a, yeah. it's really a really a good canon, but even the process of which they went through to get it to that point, you know, they didn't agree. Yeah. They didn't agree on that. There was a lot, a lot of fighting, but you know, it was written by white men for white men. Right. 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 And that's, that's just a fact. It's not, it's not like a, oh man, let's, right. uh, it's just a fact. Right. And so these kind of things have to evolve. And to its credit, they put a, yeah. a system in place that allowed for evolution of this constitution mm-hmm. to occur mm-hmm. because they had enough foresight to know, hey, we're writing this right, right. right now at this time in this place in relation to us. Mm-hmm. But someday that may not be right. the case. It may not apply. But it brings up some tons more discussion to have because you, you look at the 13th Amendment, right. we're probably all familiar with mm-hmm. that and how we talked about a mutation right. of racism. The 13th Amendment comes in and, and uh, on the the overarching message is it frees all people. All people. 
but the claws are in the little writing underneath it. Except, except. <laughs> it frees except. all people, except right. those who criminals. are uh, criminals. criminals. And that clause is a significant mutation right. for racism because now all I have to do is make up a law. Right. And I can perpetuate slavery, racism, injustice under the protection of this framework called the Constitution. Exactly. So there's volumes of stuff to, you know, to talk about. When I hear systemic, and I'm glad you brought that up because I'm sitting here as you're talking, I'm like, oh, my, yeah, yeah. okay. Yeah, I can, see, Interesting. I can see why that would resonate with some yeah. or turn some, yeah. some people off. Yeah, you start off. talking right. politics now. Wait a minute. But, but we cannot not yeah. talk yeah. politics yeah. Yeah. if we're going to have an honest discussion. Yeah. And and you will quickly, I mean, you'll quickly learn about me if you don't know already. There's there's nothing about politics that I trust. Right. Nothing. And maybe maybe they go say that's un-American. If yeah. so, then I am un-American. <laughs> you, you know, you uh, trust and politician are oxymorons. <laughs> and a part of that is a. Uh, the bureaucracy that they've built yeah. to keep themselves. You talk about, you know, an aspect of racism. Think about politicians mm -hmm. and the rest of the population. Right. Right. That is a class separation mm -hmm. there. And that too is racist. Right. It's not separation by color, but it's separation by created occupation. Right. And the, the rest of you guys, dare we say the, the bourgeoisie and yeah, all yeah. of those terms. Yeah. I better not say that or I'll be labeled a communist. Right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Those are those are real aspects, you know, of what we're yeah. what we're dealing with and I think it's there's a place for them in the discussion. Well, the other day, Greg, you mentioned I loved this and I want to come back to it maybe in our next episode. Okay. The idea and I'm just I'm paraphrasing. You said we're not here to fix racism. Right. We're here to build relationships, yeah. right? Amen. Right. And relationships yeah. have their ups and their downs. They have their moments of struggle for sure. Right. But it's a relationship. It's connections. Kind of going back to what we maybe mentioned earlier in the in our discussion today about we, we can't allow ourselves to be disconnected from the community. We right. can't allow ourselves to be disconnected from the system, right? Right. We're all part of it. We're all living in it. That idea of building relationships, I think that's what we're here about today, yeah. right? That's what we're trying to promote through our podcast, and I want to come back to that. I want to say I appreciate you guys for coming out today, yeah, no and problem. I really hope we can do this again. Oh, no doubt. So no if, you're, doubt. if you're up, we're up for it. We're in, for sure. So anyway, glad to have you here. Good appreciate to be you. here. Thank Good to you. be here. Look forward to it. Oh, I love that. that. That was so fun i cannot wait to do it again we have a lot to talk about we have a lot to learn because these discussions they can't go buried for another hundred years like they have been in my hometown when greg said we are all many things you know i think that's right and i want to ask him more about that because right now Lots of people are dismissing the racism discussion because they see the news coverage of looting and violence. And because they see that, they say they're done listening to all of it. 
I want to talk more about that. And I want to talk about the role of black leadership and what it should be, what responsibilities they should bear. Because if we are building more unity in our world, that's a two-way process. It can't be only the white's responsibility to make changes, can it? Let's talk about that and see how that goes. And there's going to be more, much more. Greg said, we are not here to fix racism. We're here to build relationships. Relationships have their ups and their downs, but we stick together and we keep going. That's it. That's it. We're here to have conversations that create space for consideration and for relationships. The kind of relationships that build unity. That's how we're going to approach it here. Because we are on a mission to bring more unity to our world. And even though it's a scary time for all of us, we are jumping in. It is going to be okay. Thanks again to our special guests, Greg and Jason, today. They'll be back with us next week. And we will see you then on In Session with Jared and Clay. <laughs>